Welcome to the Meltzone Podcast. This is episode 46 from May 31st, 2021. I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And on today's episode, I'm going to talk a bit about, yeah, that I'm now a trademark. CNC Kitchen is now a trademark and a bit of meta behind that and also... Yeah, how you can trademark your own brand. Um, then a bit of talking about procedural parametric pattern generation and G-code generation uh, that is not done by yeah slicing a, an SDL file. And also a bit of a controversy. Uh, yeah, Devon from Make Anything was, or one of his designs was ripped off by another company and then put on kickstarter without him really um yeah being yeah, i'm missing the words already again uh credited for yeah what he did there and in other news 3d printing is making more stuff possible that wasn't or was a bit more expensive or a bit more complex before that is uh solid state batteries that are made with a 3D printing process, something we're going to need a lot of in the future. And maybe 3D printing is that little bit of, a, of an edge that the tech needs to get to the mainstream right now. We also have two questions in this episode. The first one being about whether speed should be something that we test for in a 3D printer. And, you know, Stefan and I discuss about how we, we can even measure speed and what goes into uh, determining whether a speed is usable or not. And the other question is, what do you do with all those, uh, all those little leftover bits on spools of filament? How can you use them? How can you splice them together? Um, and I think Stefan has a really good suggestion that is easy to use. So let's go and have a look at that. So this is the first time, I guess, that it's uh, Thomas Sonora and CNC Kitchen TM recording a TM. podcast together. Is it TM? I think it's just the R in a circle. I'm not sure about is that. At, at, at least I think for the moment, I'm still not really eligible to, to, to put the R sign next to my name or my logo because right. that's, I think, an Anglo-American thing. But uh, yeah, CNC Kitchen is now a registered trademark, at least in Germany and hopefully pretty soon also in Europe. And then in the US and worldwide as well? Yeah, we'll see. I still need to, to figure that out because registering a trademark is, well, it is connected with a bit of cost and I don't know, well, with cost and effort. Obviously, um, yeah. The effort is interestingly not too high because, so yeah, I, I applied for a trademark name at the German patent, German uh, brands and patent office. Yep. And the only thing you basically need to submit is what, basically what brand you want to, you, you want to trademark. And then the so-called Nizza Klassen, which is a list, I think, which has like 5,000 entries where you need to choose a couple of classes where your brand is oper operating in. And right. so, I think that is the, uh, the, the tricky part because 
Um, <laughs> yeah, especially for for like media brands, essentially. If you're making, if you're someone like I don't know Apple, it yeah. will be pretty obvious. Okay, you're making consumer electronics, uh, yeah. and you're not operating but, in the food yeah. class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but this is the interesting thing. Um, just yeah, I'm. I'm operating in electronics is just still a way too big field. So as I said, there are, I think around like three to five thousand of these NHTSA classes. Right. And they sometimes really go very deep into details. Um I don't have my list right here at the moment, but it's you can do video production and whatever. It's it's a ton of things. And this was Something I really struggled with to find the proper one. Um, so what's the to, what, to find the proper ones? Can you just do one, or what's the downside of just choosing everything? Could you do that? You you could do that. So the thing is, um, when you first apply for a brand in Germany, um, you pay like a, a base fee, and that base fee includes, I think, two or three of these Nizza classes. Okay. Which is around 300 euros, I think. And every additional class costs you, I think, an additional 200 euros. Oh, that, that's pretty steep then. Um, so yeah, you could apply for all of them, but that would be basically a monetary problem. And the thing is, um, you can and should only apply for those classes where you are using your brand. Because if you would, for example, apply for Thomas Sanladero Media um, in, I don't know, toothpaste, um, somebody could put you in front of a court. I don't even know if, if that's even necessary, but they can say, okay, you have applied for toothpaste, but you're not using your whole right. brand for toothpaste. So your whole brand trademark is not valid anymore. So you oh. really need to think about, okay, in which directions will you be operating? I mean, that, so you, th that, that almost makes sense in a way. I'm surprised that, that, that like legislation yeah. and, and that sort of stuff yeah. is so like, yeah. It it has taken care of those those edge cases where where someone with a ton of uh, or a pile of money just says, "Hey, I'm going to yeah. register pair for for everything, every little every category that I can think of." Yeah. yeah. And what, what I still don't know how how it how do how it would work out in the end if if somebody else would say, "Okay, I register a brand for Thomas Sanladero Media for toothpaste." And he is producing Thomas Sanladero toothpaste, even though he's, he's, he's not in any, well, way connected to you. If he, if there would be the possibility to get that trademark granted as well. Right. I'm not that deep into that topic. Um, so what, what did he, what did he actually register? Is it just the name or the logo as well? What's, what's actually included in that? So the, there are two ways what you can do. Um, you can either apply for, a a name or for a logo and everything which is connected to that logo um the best way is usually trying to apply just for the name itself because that gives you the possibility to later change the logo uh, but but your brand right. name is is still under that trademark but sometimes that's not possible if the names are too generic or descriptive of, of what you're doing. Yeah. 
And I was kind of afraid because CNC kitchen is kind of descriptive, but in the end, I I got that uh, that granted. So yeah, this it's, name it's a, trademark. It's a unique combination of two things, right? You wouldn't typically yeah. put CNC and kitchen together. Yeah. But if that would not have worked, I would have needed to apply for a, um, it's called Bildmarke, a picture or this, I don't know the proper translation for that, but a, a brand where you trademark your logo. And the name and everything, so the, which is connected in not, that way. Not just not just the the words themselves, but the actual implementation of those words yeah. into a brand. Exactly. Um, that's also fine. But as soon as you would start to change your logo, uh, you would have you would need to have you would need to apply for a new trademark, right? Which comes with the problem that you need to pay for that application again but also i don't know maybe a couple of years later legislation changed or there are some competitors where this would not be possible anymore i don't know um i'm i'm really happy that i got the like just cnc kitchen name now trademarked for a couple of those nitsa classes and um yeah i still need to implement that our thing yeah, behind but, my but logo make sure you use the correct one because i you know if, if you imply that this is registered or protected in some way that it isn't yeah. by using that logo like uh, yeah. you might get in trouble as well yeah. so is, is, that, is that just a, a one-time thing or is there like a renewal process that you have to to pay for again or like running costs for that so i i think for the first application your trademark is protect protected for the next five years and then you need to pay an additional amount to just keep, keep okay. that trademark um with that uh german trademark it's now i think also pretty easy to apply for the european trademark so i right. will be probably be doing that um it's probably going to be another like thousand euros uh, but then it's protected in all of the EU, uh, and I still need to figure out how that would work out for the US and if it's necessary to register it there at the moment. I thankfully knew somebody who at least could me, could, uh, tell me a, a bit about the process and also about the NHTSA classes and stuff like that. But in the end, I thought, okay, there are, lawyers patent lawyers or trademark lawyers yeah. um, who basically sell you a package so and they do the research in the background so they do the research if they think it's possible to for example register that name or register that brand if there are already competitors on the market that have registered that and they do all of the application process it's gonna cost you a little but if your registration is denied you need to do it again and you need to pay the whole amount again. Right. So that can also be quite expensive. Um, also, also now you're going to have to like actually defend that trademark, right? So if somebody else uses it, you are required to defend that name and take them to court or otherwise like your, your trademark gets basically invalidated because you yeah. have no, you show no interest in actually yeah. defending it, right? Yeah, I, I would need to. I, I really hope that it, it doesn't get to that point. But yeah, we will see. I think this is the responsible, uh, the responsibility that you have once, once you are a registered trademark. <laughs> yeah. It's to, to be totally honest, it's a really interesting step because I can still remember 
before I started my YouTube channel, just uh, we were on a walk outside in the snow and I thought about, okay, what could be a name for the channel? And now just five years later, oh, you are a real brand. You are now yeah. a registered trademark and stuff like this. Yeah, think, things grew it's, pretty well. It's good validation, yeah. It's really good validation. Um, I don't know. I have my, my certificate now. I was wondering if I put that also now onto my wall next to my YouTube play button <laughs> or if it just goes into one folder and stays there. Um, I think it's, it's at least a bit you could be, can be proud of, even though everyone can register any name. Yeah. But it's like, well, you now have a, a need for it and you now have the size to, uh, to justify registering yeah. for a trademark. So yeah. Congratulations for that. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. Let's see how it's, how it's getting implemented. Let's see when you're, when you are tra uh, trademarking your name. Yeah. Well, uh, I've, uh, for, for me and for Brandy, <laughs> it's, it's surprising. Like, so like in general, I'm, I'm just always surprised that like your channel is so much better than mine in, in so many ways. You've got a trademark. You've got a proper name. You've got more views. You've got better content, arguably. Um, and I'm just like, oh, am I, am I losing touch? No, no, no. <laughs> um, so, so logo wise for me, I've, I, and this is something I've been talking about for, for a year now. I finally, uh, ordered a logo, a redesign, uh, on Fiverr, um, from an artist that I think I like the art of. We'll see what, it, what, it, what, what they draw up. Okay. That should be sometime this week. And then finally, I'm going to have that transition away from my name that nobody can spell. Um, over to made with layers so that's 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 gonna be that's gonna be interesting how people are confused yeah. to which new channel they are now subscribed to yeah it's so the plan is to have like a transition period where the channel name changes to thomas Sanadra slash made with layers and then mm -hmm. it's made with layers slash thomas Sanadra, and then after a while it's just made with layers okay uh we'll see i'm 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 kind of scared about that but also excited because it's something that i've wanted to do for a long time and finally kind of had the the headspace to to dig into that it's yeah it's something that you're always putting off because it is involved well it is involving change it is involving efforts and well, with the size that you were having, it is also a big responsibility to do it, to do it the proper way. If you're just rebranding a channel, it could be the, the end of a channel in the end. Uh, but yeah. also on the other hand, it could also lift your content up because people m might be more connected with made with layers than with your real name. Yeah. Um, yeah, and also for for me, I, I want to kind of see it as justification to kind of step outside the three D printing, like niche of a niche, uh, and and kind of experiment with more makery content. I mean, if you look at, uh, I like to make stuff, I'm doing all yep. sorts of stuff, and I I really appreciate, I really enjoy the the way that they're kind of spreading out their content and doing everything from from 3d printing to woodwork to everything i i mean the channel is still going to be about my channel is still going to be core 3d <laughs> printing but i want to do some other projects as well my best performing video still involves almost no 3d printing the um <laughs> the info display the uh, digital yeah. dashboard uh that has almost no 3d printing in it so i'm like well why am i 
I don't want to say wasting my time, but why am I spending my time on, on making content that is so hyper-focused on 3D printing when other content would be like better in, in so many ways? So yeah. But I, I now could actually be questioning the the choice of your new channel name because made with layers. Look, and, and this this is where this is where the smart part starts. Um so the, the idea with layers is, of course, 3D printing is layers, and that is like obvious. But if you look at plywood, plywood is also layers. If you look at paint, paint is also applied in layers. If you look at um, stuff that I might be building, it might also be a, a process of layering up different uh, materials and, and different components in layers. So everything's going to yeah. have layers somehow. Every even if you look at, I don't know, the, the, the desktop that I have here, it's a layer of, uh, well, melamine on top of a layer of uh, HDF, on top of a layer of, of corrugated cardboard. It's, everything is layered. So that's that's kind of the idea. And I'm hoping the logo is going to reflect that in a way. Logo is not okay. just going to be 3D printing. It's, well, I still haven't seen a draft, which kind of okay. scares me that that draft should have been here by now, but... Uh, I I did ask for something that would involve different materials that are all kind of applied in layers okay it was kind of a provocative question because I basically also always get the question why are you called CNC kitchen because you're 3D well that often I, I think I think more the CNC part but Oh, well, well, a 3D printer is a CNC. Um, Absolutely. A 2D printer is a CNC. Uh, yeah. My CNC router, of course, is a CNC. Yeah. Because I also had in mind that, well, CNC is more than just 3D printing. Yeah. It can involve lathes. It can involve milling and, and things like that. So... Yeah, um, I probably need to do more cooking. Um, maybe for the next live stream, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I'm. Oh. I started. Pre I I think this was actually like two years ago. I started preparing for my 100,000 subscribers celebration a video for how to make a perfect stack on a 3D printer, but I never finished it somehow ah, because those those are the um, worst. <laughs> those are the worst. But I think I didn't finish it. Due to the reason I was scared that this could, well, I was scared in a way that, um, I need to do this properly because if I would do it properly, there's a lot of potential on drawing in viewers that usually, uh, don't watch like machining or 3D printing channels. Yeah. Uh, it, it could be a really clickbaity title, but I don't know in some way it, it it scared me off a little bit i probably still need to need to do that at some point maybe for the five hundred thousand subscribers celebration <laughs> yeah that, that, that should be coming up soon <laughs> oh yes um, yeah it's it's the uh, the perfectionist in us um and the uh, the thing is like the videos that are like perfect where nothing goes mm. wrong and everything just clicks into place those are boring there's no drama in that you, mm. you, you need to have you need to have something that's engaging and as it turns out well stuff that is just that just works out perfectly is not that that exciting mm. so, yeah. maybe just just um a, a second about logos and fiber because i often get this question and 
taken a look at my channel and also this podcast channel right here, both logos have been performed or have been done by artists on Fiverr. So Fiverr is basically, it's, it's a platform where artists can offer their their services uh, basically their their services and you choose somebody you give him or her basically a description what you want to have um prices vary from a dollar to ten thousand dollars and so far i have had almost every time a really good experience using using the the people on on that platform and they have come up with really interesting ideas even though they might often not not be involved in 3d printing or in this stuff that i make but um what i just want to say with that is if you listener or you viewer out there maybe have an idea and you need a logo for that that is an option if you are not that artistically yeah um skilled i'm missing those skilled yeah uh because same with me um some people don't like the platform i had really good experience with that i'm really looking forward to your logo yeah i've i've done stuff on fiverr and and on comparable platforms too but the thing is also you kind of get what you pay for if you just yeah. buy a, like a five dollar logo design, you are gonna get a five dollar logo. Like that's mm. you're gonna get something that's super generic mm. and maybe not like super polished. It's mm. gonna be a logo. Like if you don't yeah. have expectations that are super high, it's gonna work for you. But you know, if you if you buy, like I said, if you if you just pay five bucks, you're gonna get a five buck logo. So the yeah. logo package that I chose, I think, is like a hundred bucks total, which is still incredibly cheap. Mm. Um, it's an artist from Washington State. Um, typically, I mean, a lot of them are from, from India, Pakistan, uh, et cetera, but this was an artist from, from Washington State in, in the U.S. And yeah, we'll, we'll see. And I was, I've, I already wrote like, Hey, you know, this is the budget. This is kind of what we want to start with. And like, if this works out, I, I'm going to have more stuff that, I, that I'm going to need. Um, for mm. example, like a, a scaled down and simplified version of the logo that works mm. on, on smaller, uh, smaller screens. All that we will see. I'm I'm excited about the um, the first draft that comes up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the podcast channel logo was I think twenty or twenty five bucks. My channel logo was fifty bucks or something like that. So let's see. It's it's decent. Yeah, I mean um, Fiverr has been sponsoring channels before. I think they they sponsored Potato Jet at some point. Maybe we can have them as a as a sponsor on the podcast at some point. <laughs> oh, you're you're. Yeah. <laughs> You, you you liking that uh, that segue? <laughs> <laughs> because we also have a sponsor on this podcast for the very first time, and yeah, um, companies, if you're interested in sponsoring uh, this podcast as well, get in touch with us. Um, but today we are sponsored by Soraya Tech and their lines of resins. You've you've tested, you've put the Soraya Tech's resins through their paces, right, Stefan? Yeah, especially the blue resin. So I think that was almost two years ago when all of the other resins I tested at that point were really brittle and the blue resin was more yeah, engineering grade. It was not as brittle. It was really um, durable and, and showed me that resin prints could maybe also been used or could also be used for for applications where 
you have impact loads and you have yeah. forces and things like that. And the really interesting thing is that with the resins that Siraya Tech is is making, they offer the possibility to also mix their resins. So they also have the tenacious resin. Is that pronounced the correct way? Yes. So uh, that, that's going to be hard is, to see. But I've I've got yeah. a bottle of blue. I've got a bottle of, of tenacious here, and you can you can mix those however you want. So if you want something that's a bit more rigid and you know maybe are, are okay with having it a bit more brittle, you can do that. You can mix those however you want. So they've got um, blue. They've got which is which is the the resin that is engineered for LCD printers specifically. They've got um, tenacious. They've got sculpt, which is a high temperature material, um, heat deflection temperature of 160 degrees is what they're claiming for this, and an ultra version with 220. That is something that I guess if you if you crystallized a um, a filament print, you would be able to get that too. But with the resins, you just get that out of the box. Mm-hmm. And you could basically do uh, inje- well simple injection molds with that, and I think that's right. one of the the backgrounds. Right. You, you probably. I mean, would you need something like a um, thin middle, a, a separating film in that? Could be, but yeah, just put some silicone spray or something like that in there, yeah. and you could do for just one or two or five shots, depending on on how complex your part is. You could basically do a simple injection mold using um, a resin printer and yeah Zeriatex sculpt ultra material absolutely but also if you want to just print stuff um, blue is a great choice and I did use that for the um, glitter filled prints yeah worked out beautifully so thank you to Soraya for sponsoring this episode of the podcast and if you guys want to check out their products we've got links in the video description below thank you Zeriatex yeah let us let us know how awkward we made this sponsor spot. <laughs> uh, should we should we put some music over this um, just to separate it from the from the rest of the uh, rest of the video? Yeah, maybe you can find you can find someone on uh, Epidemic Sound. <laughs> oh, but we, we don't have a, we don't have an Epidemic license for this uh, for the oh, podcast. No, we don't. They saw they said it was okay to because I have the the Epidemic license for my main channel. They said it was okay to also use it on the podcast, but I. Honestly, I don't want to risk it because, you know. We'll see. If, if, if we would be uh, demonetized for that podcast, we would probably lose like 20 bucks in ad revenue for a podcast <laughs> episode. Yeah, that would basically ruin us. Uh, just use the YouTube um, music library. All right. Audio yeah. library. That, um, Maybe but, there's but, something interesting. But wasn't it like if you use uh, the tracks from that, you can't monetize at all? Or was that just... That was with uh, no. shorts. If you use them for shorts, you can't monetize them. Something um, shorts ab- are not monetized. If yes. they are in, in the shorts player, yeah, there's the YouTube shorts fund or whatever it's called now. Um, my uh, like channel music, intro music that I've been using for the past years is out of the YouTube library. And so far I've been able to monetize my right. videos. Yeah. Thankfully. Um, that, I, I think it was specifically like shorts are going to get monetized at some point. I think it was specifically for the, that time or that case when, mm-hmm. when they do get monetized. If you use the library, you cannot monetize shorts <laughs> that use YouTube audio mm-hmm. library mm-hmm. music. So I don't know. Future talk. M- maybe just 
because it, it might be interesting for some viewers. And I also know that there might be other creators on, well, listening to the podcast. Um, monetization and shorts. I, I have not done any shorts, but I have talked to people that do a lot of shorts. Um, and in the beginning, when I, when I saw the amount of views that they get, okay, I, I thought, okay, they must be driving a Rolls Royce now because <laughs> like having 10 million views a day, that's, um, a thousand times more that I get every month. I don't know, something like that. Um, shorts, if, if you are watching them in the normal shorts player are usually, are, are not monetized because there are also no pre-roll ads, there are no post-roll ads, and they're just, on on the mobile devices the only way currently shorts get monetized on youtube is if you find them in your subscription feed or if you take a look at the creator's um side and directly click right. on on one of their shorts videos so yeah for some they do make really good content and they get millions and even almost billions of views but they don't make a lot of money with it yeah. well in the end how do we make money with our videos with the ads that are played before and, and after and, and through youtube memberships of course <laughs> uh, and i think that's that's just not happening with shorts i'm maybe a bit biased there because i have youtube premium and i don't see any ads at all that they're fine here they're fine yeah I, I i don't regret it at all but we've talked about yeah, that plenty yeah. of times yeah so shorts, shorts is a, a a nice way to find a big audience but i think for the moment it's it's not a way to get ri rich yeah i mean if if you if you do stuff with the sole intent of of making money off of it and getting rich like probably you're not gonna be you're not gonna well have a good time or, or do the best version of that so <laughs> short youtube selling it hey you know let's just do shorts for fun let's just have you know try out some different formats all that it's yeah. it's supposed to do it for fun yeah though since since they are battling themselves with well tiktok basically uh and they want to keep uh creators on on youtube and also like gain new creators on youtube that are doing shorts they have started to um yet yeah, to make this youtube shorts fund which i think has a hundred million dollars in it which will over the months be paid out to the biggest yeah. um shorts creators so if you if you're just a normal person making shorts you're not going to get any of that it's just for the best performing shorts and in channels yeah and is <sighs> To, I, mean, I guess two minute papers papers could be could almost be a shorts channel um yeah. used to be literally two minute videos about papers it's now eight minute videos about still called well it's still called two minute papers um but doctor uh carol please uh, oh god sorry i can't the <laughs> Uh, he did a video on a procedural parametric pattern generation process and it's called five fiber like five fiber like tools that can, can now be 3d printed and it's a so what, what what he does is usually he presents papers scientific papers that are um 
new and kind of interesting in well in the ways that that interest in him or interest in mm. him so what this paper is is a a research into making parts that bend in specific ways so and and by, by using 3d printing by having uh basically infill structures um that are arranged in very specific ways so like for example you could have a a block that but it's just a square you press down on it and all of a sudden it twists um as you press down on it or um what they're showing is you can have pliers that are all built with the same process and specifically in the in the hinge area of those pliers allow that that rotational deflection mm. in that that one spot um, and they're not only using infill density to adjust those uh thing experiment well, properties but they are using specific in infill patterns at specific locations to get those those properties to create a hinge or to have it stiff in one direction and and compliant in compliant in the other direction yeah um the most simple way you can imagine that if you if you would print for example out of tpu just a block of material which doesn't have any perimeters for example honeycomb structure um that structure is very rigid if you compress it more or less in the in the z direction but if you would turn it on one of the sides it has way different um yeah stiffness properties and different compliance and what he's showing um what is written in those papers they are applying those um those ideas in in a very smart way that you can um adjust yeah the, the properties of a part um very precisely and also yeah basically automatically yeah it's it's a it's a generative design not just for the way that it's printed you know or, or made the, how the physical part is made by generating it with the 3d printer no it's a, it's a generative process where you define okay this area of the part should have these sort of stiffness parameters and mm. these other parts should work differently and then that process mm. automatically fills it in with appropriate structures and it's not like it's just doing hey we've got this sort of pattern that works for that or uh, that sort of pattern that makes it rigid and this this makes it um soft in that that way no it's it's actually adaptively um adaptively adapting it's uh, it's adapting to the geometry of the parts mm. and it's it's creating like little tree rings in some cases or you know all sorts of different structures that are not predetermined that are a result of the of the algorithm that does that but it's um yeah it's dynamic to however you want mm. your, your part to perform and however the part is structured on the outside how mm. what the shape of the part is and this is one of the cool things how 3D printing should be used in the future because 3D printing is not only yeah printing a three-dimensional part but you have way more possibilities you can use these uh, well generatively created infill patterns to adjust the properties of a part to um i i i said it on the um, foaming material videos adding an additional dimension to your part so you don't yeah. only um tell yeah the printer how the shape of a part will be but you also can adjust 
the properties of a part in a really smart way. And this is only possible or basically only possible with 3D printing. And this is still yeah. way underused because um, for once you need to find applications for it. And on the other hand, you need to have software that can yeah generate basically uh, tool patterns using using these ideas in the background yeah so i don't know if we're going to see this in the slicer at some point would be great uh, because right now slices yeah it's uh biggest biggest achievement is oh we now have gyroid infill uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is still you know just um uniformly distributed throughout the entire part so there's there's no areas well you, you can do modifier meshes where you have like an isotropically mm. less rigid area but you can't do mm. this yeah i don't know how how you'd communicate that to a slicer with like standard formats of course they've got all that there's their specialized software but how you would implement that in an i mean an stl is never going to hold that sort of information um, you would need some sort of a vector field that is like overlaid over your part essentially as an additional channel of information. Also, yeah. how would you how would you do that in CAD? It's like you, you have your entire toolpath that is set out to do this one specific thing to make solid parts yeah. that the slicer then decides itself how it how it wants to infill. But like, how how would you do that in CAD? Just have a second geometry that overlays it. I think this is kind of similar to the problem that we currently have with lattice structures in CAD because um, like designing lattice structure in CAD is nothing anyone should do just because yeah. modeling uh, lattice structure is, is so computationally uh, intensive. Um, I think I think the uh, the 3MF format now allows um, basically or assigning different parameters to well volumes in your part. So right. you in CAD you would, for example, just say, okay, this all of this part should be filled later with lattice structure with these parameters, for example, or even right. maybe provide an uh, a unit cell in, uh, in, in the background. And then in the slicer, for example, where you were just working with tessellated structure, you take this information and fill this space, which is not filled, uh, in, in the beginning, but you have this information that this should be filled with the structure you, you desired. And I think something like that would also be necessary that you're still doing a CAD design and then maybe you have a simulation software, just some other post-processing software that then assigns, um, specific patterns to specific, um, parts, or you would maybe even need to implement that in the slicing process itself because what they are doing is not only just changing yeah patterns or or densities at specific yeah. locations this is those patterns transition into each other and i think that's hard to do with just saying okay this block of 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 part shall have this property and this block ha uh, shall have that property um it's interesting but this is this is something uh where 3d printing can really shine and i want to see that way more in the future yeah so software it's always software in, <laughs> it's, in it's always end. software yeah, the hardware is so good now that it's uh, we've talked about this before yeah, yeah. to close this <laughs> out let me let me just play the, the intro real quick uh, of the video because it has the name in there properly yeah. okay 
Dear fellow scholars, this is Two Minute Papers with Dr. Karoly Zsolnai Fehér. Okay, there we go. Stephanie <laughs> didn't hear that, but um, our listeners and viewers were able to, to hear yeah. the correct pronunciation. Great channel, mm. by the way. Um, highly recommended. Yeah. Um, I still had something on my mind. There is one British guy who is currently posting a lot of stuff on Twitter on... Um, I think it's not procedurally generated G code, but he does STL less. Uh, the full. G oh, what's it called? Full full control G code. Full co yeah, something like that. This I think already goes into that direction because he's not using like geometry in the background and a slicer. But I haven't tried his tool out yet. I really wanted to, but I just did not did not uh, find the time yet. But he has ways to adjust the g-code uh yeah. with just i think a programming language or something like that this is so uh, i'm hoping I'm, I'm remembering this correctly but a couple of years ago i was at uh a show i don't know which which one show, which show it was but i recorded an interview or a presentation by Arthur mamoumani um, French artist was a Burning Man, um, did a whole bunch of arts with 3D printing. And if I remember cor this correctly, he was using Grasshopper at the time, um, yeah. which is a, a, a tool, um, that lets you like per parametrically and procedurally generate G code as well. And it's kind of a, as if I, it's been a while. Um, it's like node base where you can say, okay, this generates that and then we process it with this. And, and he was able to do some really interesting stuff. I think he was doing like vase sculptures or, or sort of that sort of stuff that is not that never saw geometry, never saw a slicer mm. and was just built up by a, by a series of, well, instructions and, 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 mm. and patterns essentially that get computed. Sorry that was loud so i yeah go ahead no i i have you ever used grasshopper i have not okay because me neither but i have seen other people do really interesting things using that tool they generated totally complex i don't know how it, how it even works in the background but structures too generate designs and to have basically a parametric way to adjust something right here and in the end you get out another model or i don't know maybe another decode it's really cool it's really cool it's it's a really i think artistic way of of designing parts yeah i was gonna say it's not gonna make you engineering parts that need to fit to anything well i guess it could <laughs> but for the most part it is to make parts that have an an, an interesting visual appeal to them yeah which is is valid. Like, not everything yeah. needs to be a box with a with a bunch of screw holes, right? No. Full G code designer, it's called. Um, full control G code designer, yeah. Full, sorry, full control G code designer. Really cool. Definitely want to try that out. It's, I think it's still at the moment. He does kind of simple structures with it, but he applies that concept in really interesting way. Is that his tool or is that something that somebody else makes? No, I think it is his tool. Okay. Um, not 100% sure, but 
95% sure. Now, because typically, the you know, what you, what you see is um, the, the creators of a tool will often be using it in one specific way that they think you know that they want to use it that they thought about that that way of using it while writing it and then somebody else comes along and they have an entirely new perspective on things and do some incredible stuff with that same tool that wasn't originally maybe intended uh in or in intended use but yeah. still amazing nonetheless so yeah full control g-code designer right um what else do we have we're already like 40 minutes in already. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we talked about this briefly before we started recording, but maybe maybe let's do these more often and not have this many topics in every one because <laughs> it is exhausting. It's, it's basically what we're, we're, what we're saying every time. Yeah. It, blame me, blame me. Yeah, totally um, your fault. Yeah. <laughs> um, Astrolabicon. Right. Is that Right. Yeah, properly yes. pronounced. Astro, Astrolabicon. It's like a... Make anything's Astrolabicons. Um, controversy. Controversy. Um, this again goes a bit into the direction of, of patents and things like that. I IP. actually did not want... Yeah. IP did not want to talk about that at the moment. But I think it's, it's a really interesting topic. Um, there have been some updates, but I think think the so maybe what basically happened is if if you haven't watched the video so um make anything um devon from make anything he posted a video on a really cool puzzle that he made two three years back um yep. it's i don't know a, re a reinvented version of a rubik's cube or it's a it's a physical puzzle um it's that a you physical can print puzzle. yourself. So it's like yeah. it's two halves that you twist um to mate up with each other and there's a channel going through them that has uh different colored spheres, balls in them, and the goal is to arrange them all in a in a certain pattern where all the same color balls are uh right next to each other. So he's designed those, he's selling the files on, of those um on my mini factory. Two ninety nine for for one of the puzzles that I just clicked on, so that's one of one of his um, one of the bits of uh, his business basically. Is this one? Oh, there's there's even a free one. So classic V two, so you can you can try that out for yourself. And there are nicer versions that you can buy. So along comes Torsion three D Torsion, uh, and they now have a Kickstarter for basically his puzzle. Um, that looks pretty much the same that works exactly the same and they claim oh it's an all new fascinating puzzle design i think that's that's the part that's that's kind of pissing you off um the hey we, we made this again i don't think that's the biggest problem it's the claiming mm. they've they've invented it and it's not inspired by make anything's design at all that's what they're claiming mm. Because there is prior art, there is some. I mean, the 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 absolute concept isn't totally. Oops, sorry about that zoom banner. Um, the exact concept of how those puzzles are built isn't like totally new, but the way that um, that make anything uh, implemented it into his puzzles is pretty characteristic, and yeah. Porsche just pretty much ripped it off. So. Yeah, 
what are you gonna do yeah he, he's pissed they didn't credit him um and they they approached the, him like a couple of days before the kickstarter went live or something and were like hey uh, if you if you want to promote this basically then <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i think well the the big question for him now was can he really do anything about that he he did not have any design patents geschmacksmuster or however you go uh, however you want to call it um the design patents hold on i was muted design patents yes design patents <laughs> uh for for that um so he probably can't do anything about that that kickstarter that's going on but just the nice way would have been to approach him to credit him and maybe to at least share a bit of the profit with him since yeah, yeah he made it popular and he, he he did not have like the initial design or the initial idea for that i think there were similar puzzles many years back yeah but um yeah the way just he did it was was a bit novel the other thing of course is also like if you if you really want to go through the pain of of saying okay this is my design that is being ripped off like do you really want to go through the the entire legal um through the entire legal process of of defending mm. that of of suing a company mm. that, that has no names attached to it <laughs> that's mm. it's just that the company the torsion is basically a company that has that that has no face uh, nobody knows where they're from uh, nobody knows who's running it it's just they're just an ano anonymous blob mm. um like do you really want to go through that yeah like, and especially since you haven't filed any design patents for it it's yeah gonna be hard to to defend it i yeah it's i think it was primarily the way they did it not crediting him and not approaching him like, exactly way up front exactly um on the topic one one of the things that i've thought about doing eventually once uh, once everything else is done um just it's total total sidetrack um so I've got the Warren 2.4 behind me. Actually, I can maybe... Yeah, there's a box. Um, and they have a printed forward project where people who have already built a Voron, um, basically, I think they send in a part and, and basically prove that they can print these parts to a high spec. And then you can order parts for that, for the print you want to build, for the 2.4 or the 1 point or 0 point something um, through that printed forward team or process and get like super high quality parts uh, you pay for those those are not free um, I think the 2.4 parts are 100 bucks or something uh, plus shipping which is a fair price I think so what I was thinking is you know typically printing parts like for there used to be a huge thing for for uh, for prusa mendels uh you could buy a set of parts first they were like 150 bucks now they're 30 um if you can even still buy them uh why not why not do it like this and, and approach the designers of the printer say hey i want to sell your parts on ebay um what is a what is a fee you would want per kit sold and just do it like that mm -hmm. where it's like uh it's it's very open so it's like okay, I'm charging this much for printing these parts 
And out of that, um, this percentage is for print costs and, and profit. Mm -hmm. And this part goes to the designers. <clears throat> um, or for, for printing off um, designs that are licensed non-commercially. Um, I mean, you can yeah. just, just working with the designers and approaching them and going, mm -hmm. okay, would you be okay with me printing these? And what would you want? Uh, what would your um, cut of that would be per part? So, mm -hmm. But speaking of that, I, I think there are projects who are doing that. I think the MPCNC uh, is something that is non-commercial, but I have seen official resellers. Um, I don't know if the viewers can see it in the background. My FTL Nerf Blaster is something where there are official resellers of kits and parts. And I think in the background, it's managed in a way that they pay a bit of royalty yeah. to the creators of the project um, yeah, to fund them. Yeah. Um, and it helps them, for example, to distribute parts in countries where they can not directly sell to. Yeah, or in the, I mean, in the case in the, of the war, and it's like these parts are designed to be fitted together on tight tolerances and not everyone who has you know, a cheap printer might be able to pull off those same tolerances. Um, yeah. yeah. And maybe materials as well. I don't know what, what material did you use to to print yours. So again, these these were printed by um, by a member of the printed forward team, and these are all ABS. Ah, okay. Okay. So all printed on a. Oh, let me let me check the sheet. Actually, printed on a Voron two point oh five one. So that's basically a precursor mm. of the 2.4 that I'm building, but it's encased. It has doors that close off. Um, so that works for ABS pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Just the, the general approach, if you want to like sell parts or make a profit off of parts, just approach the, the, the people who own the rights to that and mm. say, Hey, I, I would like to do this. Would you be okay with that? And, uh, what would your royalty be for that? Because that that really doesn't hurt anyone, right? No. Um, and I was wondering if there are any platforms out there that offer that as a service where either they approach like creators or designers. Hey, can I put your design on my side and I will print it out and you get a, a cut from that. I am not sure if I have... I think I have seen that already, but that m might be an interesting idea to to. Yeah, there's a business idea for you. Yeah, um, and yeah, maybe it's it's distribution. Maybe it's for example for my FDL Nerf Blaster. Maybe not everyone who wants to g get one of those cool uh, uh, Nerf blasters has a 3D printer at home and yep. maybe you also have a bigger selection of materials, more capable machines for uh, tighter tolerances, for um, higher grades, more technical materials. Business idea. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we talked about a, a, a printer mod that I, I might be doing that would allow that at some point. Oh, yes. Yeah, but I, I mean... forward to that. <laughs> That's gonna be fun uh, going on the Warren. So yeah, that, that's that's something I, I'm, I'm gonna talk more about once the Warren build is is done, which is starting today. Um, yeah. Not uh, 
on on one hand, I'm looking forward to it because it's it's a proper printer build. On the other hand, it's like, well, this is going to be like a 30 hour marathon. Well, it's not going to be just one stream. Mm. Um, but this is going to yeah. be a huge effort to 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 live stream everything. Uh, we'll see. I think Have I you- think I'm going to cut it down to doing every second day or every other day. Mm. Original plan was to do it ha- daily, but. Have you checked your bill of materials to um, be sure that there are no stoppers in between? So, so actually, I've I've been in close contact with um, Adam and uh, Max from the from the Warren team, um, and they've been they've been incredibly helpful. Like I've I'm I've already got really good vibes about this build, and um, they called me up like, hey, you know, there are going to be a lot of eyes on your build. Can we have a look through your parts, maybe? And so, so yesterday we spent, I think, an hour. They they took an hour out of their Sunday. And um, we just went over the parts and just made sure that everything was there. Um, they, I mean, that they were interested in what the Formbot kit ships with uh, these days. And turns out the parts are all right. <laughs> they're not, they're not uh, the super high-end-ish. They're not the most super high-end parts, but they're going to work probably um i've already um, recognized some some issues uh like the the stepper motors they come with one meter long cables with the plugs crimped onto them already and that's going to be too short probably so i'm going to have to do something about that um well yeah so the the parts should all be there um and it's just about just about building it at this point Cool. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of envious because this is one of the machines I would really like to build, but I just don't have at the moment enough space and time for another printer. I, I don't have the space for it either, but I'm I'm building it because I want to build it. I I literally yeah, don't people know are where really it's interested live. in it. Yeah. Yeah. But, so yeah, I'm 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 going with the 300 by 300, which is the medium size for the uh, Warren 2.4. Mm. Heavy heartedly. I have also already started to basically disassemble a couple of old printers that I have where I definitely know that I don't need them anymore. First time? I First time, actually. Um, This is one of the big problems that we as influencers and content creators have that we do get a lot of machines and after a review, most of them usually just sit somewhere. I don't want to sell them. Um, I have been given away a resin printer and a couple of other printers already to friends in the past, but there's still printers around where either they're not properly working or I have already like partly worked, worked on them and it's not something you, you would give away, but it still feels kind of hard to say, okay, this is a 3d printer and I'm not just, not just taking it apart and, um, maybe throwing parts of the enclosure away because i don't need it anymore people will might think we 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 are crazy but um it's hard and 3d printers are are just so maker spaces at some point they don't want more 3d printers um people who are getting into 3d printing it, it it feels wrong to give them the printers that we reject basically so the, mm. our our fallout our waste where it's like a I don't, some some other ender 3 clone that's just not really good do you really want to give that to someone who starts just starting out um 
not sure is there any value in someone who already has a good printer in, in having a, another mm. one of those not really um for me i mean i was asking hey first time i this is this is a regular thing for me i've probably taken about uh, part 10 printers now i've got two boxes worth of uh, two summer boxes worth of stepper motors um i've got heated beds i've got basically enough components to build three fresh new printers out of those um but there's just it's just 3D printers are not something that the manufacturer wants back, which I would also appreciate for a lot of these machines where the manufacturer just says, hey, we want it back. But it's there is so hard to ship. Um, when you have an assembled Ender 3, um, yeah, you take it you take it apart, but you need you would need to repackage it in the original materials, mm. and then the printer's worth what 150 bucks. It costs yeah. more to ship that internationally than to to, yeah. to, to throw it out, basically. Even um, in Germany, having a, a fully assembled printer shipped around requires you to have proper packaging and things like that. And it's, it's rarely worth the effort. So I'm usually looking for, for people that are close to me yeah. by location. Um, if they are happy with it, if they can learn something from it, if, if it's giving them anything in return, that's fine. But yeah, they're still, a bunch of machines around i'm quite sure some tinkers would be very happy with but it's unfortunately not really worth shipping it around and so i'm yeah heavy heavy-heartedly taking those things apart at the moment yeah maybe maybe it's, more space maybe, maybe it's some more <laughs> maybe <laughs> Went to build, yeah. Um, well, some some printers had to go. Um, yeah, maybe maybe once we're we're back to to doing road trips, and once that's okay again, um, I can just pack a car full of printers and just tour Germany and and deliver them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. <laughs> Next topic. We, we we got we got sidetracked there just a, a tiny bit. <laughs> Teeny tiny bit. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, oh, on the topic of, of cars and, and road trips in, in EVs. So, uh, Saku, Saku, uh, is making solid state batteries with a 3D printer. So they are printing basically the structure of a lithium battery or lithium rechargeable lithium battery, um, from a 3D printer. And with using that 3D printed structure, um, they're saying they can do 30 to 50 percent less materials for the same capacity basically which is which is amazing i mean so half the size a third lighter and 30 to 50 percent less materials that is comparing a solid state 3d printed uh, battery to a lithium iron battery to a traditional lithium iron jelly roll uh, kind of material or jelly jelly roll build yeah, solid state battery is still something that's the uh, well sold or marketed you, you as are, the holy grail. But nah. you are way more involved in that. Are there any solid state batteries, solid state lithium batteries on the market no. yet, or is this still like the holy grail? Who's everyone is is looking for so solid state right now is um, academia. So late stage, late stages of research that companies are working to put into a mm. a proper product but they are not on the market yet so you cannot go mm. out and buy a um well buy uh solid state batteries at scale yet yeah. so 
yeah, currently it's all pouch pouch cells or cylindrical mm. cells. Or prismatic cells, which so th- those are both coming in. in whatever, it's it's all still traditional lithium-ion batteries. Mm. And well, the, the reason for three D printing is because there are they are probably using some intricate, complex structure on the inside that cannot be created in another way. I think they're not really saying that you can now 3d print your your battery at home but they are usually using a kind of a layered approach to add this complexity to the product that would not be possible with a more conventional approach yeah well and to be honest i'm not exactly sure how exactly 3d printing improves the process because i mean if you look at the way that a a traditional lithium-ion cell is made it's just it is literally foils that are stacked on top of each other and then rolled up into, mm. well, your typical 18650 cells, um, mm. just rolled up, put into a metal casing, and that's it. It is really fine layers that are stacked on top of mm. each other um, that then make up your uh, your electrodes, essentially. So I'm not sure how a 3D printing process would allow that to be more material efficient or um, give it higher energy density. But I, I guess I guess it's uh, it's one of the solutions that is working and that's that's uh, doing that for them. And it's a great buzzword for 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 funding and oh, yeah. news articles. <laughs> yeah, you always have to say that as well because, um, well, if you take a look at batteries and the amount of batteries that are needed, um, the process of manufacturing need to be really really optimized uh in order to compete with other processes it doesn't really help you if if your battery is 50 percent lighter if it costs 40 times as much yeah and that's the thing as well they didn't i don't no. think they said anything about cost um the thing is battery or lithium-ion batteries right now they their cost is tied to the resources involved by uh, by the most part so um uh, lithium lithium is super cheap but it's the more exotic stuff like nickel cobalt um those sort of resources and cobalt of course has a uh, a bit of a questionable background with the way that it is mined so you try to use as little of that as possible and in fact um if you if you go towards if you go in a different direction and not say hey i want the absolutely highest performing and most energy dense um cell possible which is what the solid state battery would do and you say i just want something that is less resource intensive and therefore less expensive um you can do something like lfp batteries um so that is um iron Lithium iron phosphate, uh, I think, is the chemistry which uh, Tesla is using for the Model 3 and Model Y that are made in China. So those have less high-end characteristics, but they are a lot cheaper to build So mm-hmm. and, and less intensive as far as cobalt goes. I don't know if, if they're even using cobalt for those cells. Okay. So that is, a, that is just a different approach to making something that is, in the end, cheaper. Mm. Yeah. Okay. But in the end, if you take a look how what batteries cost or lithium batteries cost 20, 30 years ago, um, of course, new processes will, will always be way more expensive yeah. in the beginning. But as soon as they get more and more industrialized, 
even something like a complex 3D printing approach might lead to a product that it's cheap if you do it at a large scale. Yeah, and maybe in the end, if you, if you learn what was so special about the 3D printing process that made it better, and you can replicate that in a way that is maybe not as time-consuming as yeah. 3D printing, yeah. that's the best of both worlds. Let's jump into questions. Um, so we have three today. First one is from Sven. Um, question for you guys. Isn't it time that 3D printers tests, uh, that 3D printer tests also start testing the speed of a 3D printer? Do speedboat race Benji with default profiles and with some custom settings? Uh, yeah. So are, are we testing speed? I guess more or less we are already. Um, but the thing is, they are just, the printers are all just pretty slow these days. Um, they are all printing at roughly the same speeds. Um, most of them use pretty much a default Cura profile. Um, I, I think I think back in back in the day, um, there was a there, there was still a much bigger difference in how fast a printer was was doing its thing. I think the for some reason the load spot comes up um, as being a printer that was particularly slow, but I'm I'm not sure about that. But they're all like if you these days if if you throw a Benchator printer, it's always like well this takes two hours, basically. Yeah. Then none that are really that much faster mm. or that much slower. <laughs> I think the big question here is how would you judge the speed? Um, of course, you could say, okay, at that speed, the printer started skipping, but that doesn't include the extrusion systems and things like that. Um, this was already, I think, a challenge when you was uh, when you were at the East Coast Rep Rep Festival and you did the uh, you you were a judge at the one hour and half an hour benchy challenge, yep. which sounds and also so trivial now that that people are doing benches in like two minutes. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's hard to rate the speed in the end. Um, well. I think we need to, to, to separate two things here. So it is super easy to rate the speed. You look at a bench and say, okay, this took 20 yes. minutes and that took two hours and 30 minutes. But the, 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 the thing that uh, Sven also brings up is you always have that balance. You go faster and your print's going to look worse. Mm. You go slower yeah. and typically your print's going to look better. Mm. So that's, that's a, a balance that, that you're going to have to make when you say, okay, I'm saying this is better than that. Um, mm. The way I do it is I always look at what the manufacturer recommends speed-wise. If they have a profile, I use that um, because that is the way that the manufacturer intends for their machine to perform. And that's you know if if I'm, I'm my my naive saying and my easy way out is is it's like well if if anyone knows how to tune this printer, it's the manufacturer themselves. With the manufacturer them themselves, there's whatever the manufacturer knows best how to how to use their printer. Of course, that that relieves me of all responsibility for oh your profile that you've tuned mm. in sucks. Um, mm. But and again, that's that's what the manufacturer thought their printer was capable of and and was able to do. Yeah, I could imagine a test where you would just print like benchy after benchy and well five minutes less five minutes less five minutes less and then you 
try to judge the point where you have a big degeneration of quality but what does that mean even at the speedboat race challenge um it's primarily about speed and having a part in the end that at least a bit resembles a 3d banshee <laughs> is a two minute horrible looking banshee better than a really really good looking 10 minute one that always depends on what you're looking for and it, it's hard to judge that if if you can't optimize for speed and quality it's hard because th those are okay. too op optimal and they're usually going vice versa v vice versa and it's also both speed and quality have so many dimensions to them the quality has okay what are your overhangs like are your um surfaces solid do you have uh, melty artifacts like on the chimney um etc etc and then speed if you say okay i'm just printing faster like what does that mean does it mean uh, i'm using less infill does that mean i'm increasing accelerations does it mean i'm increasing top speeds to increase jerk mm -hmm. um do i just increase travel speed do i reduce my tre retracts like all those things make your print faster but they're all different ways to achieve the same outcome mm -hmm. so that's yeah. something um where where sven michele says hey um you know, maybe try tuning in um, a as fast as possible speed on a printer you test. It's like that is a very hard thing to do properly because in the end, you're always going to disappoint someone that says, hey, but I've got the same printer and I'm printing with um, Johnny's magic profile that they're sharing. Um, and it's so much better than what you did and you're not doing this printer justice. That's the thing that uh, you know a reviewer will have to to put up with then. So yeah, I I tend to stick with default profiles as much as possible because that's at, at least for what a review is to me. That is something that I can review. That is a direct result of what the manufacturer provides, and not mm -hmm. a result of what I'm doing to the printer, which is my my general yeah. mantra for for doing um, for for yeah. not doing mods on printers before I test yeah. them. Huh. yeah an interesting question i think i think you, you 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 said it pretty well and in the end it's also i think the question what the people are expecting from you um you do your reviews in a way i do mine in a way if if i would be like the king of 3d benchy speed printing of course i i would include that but it's something that is really really hard to judge because it has so many layers to it um if somebody has an idea how how one could do that or if maybe could print a reference on the best fastest 3d printer and you can say okay by tuning the profiles you can get to the same quality as something something but it's hard it's really hard it, it would be hard for me to I, yeah, I to, guess to give a proper result, and maybe maybe comparing two printers that would be that would be working, but just giving an objective review for one machine is hard. Yeah, I guess what would work is if you want to see how well is this printer suited to printing fast, is by having actually a a standardized G code. Maybe has you start in the NG mm. code, but you have acceleration, stroke, speeds, fan settings, temp. Well, temperatures is already one that's hard uh, because yeah. there's a variation of like 15 degrees between printers. Um, that just just having a, a a standardized print file that you 
you know let every printer do and in the end hopefully they print all at the same speed but then you can go in and judge okay this printer is showing more ringing or this is showing more artifacts with cooling um, so you can at least judge the individual bits of a printer how well they would be suited to printing mm. fast yeah maybe maybe it's going to be really interesting because i for example do have a a big box of the new fl sun speed racer printer downstairs who claims oh i'm we're a super fast printer for for such a machine it will be interesting to really judge if this is a machine suitable for that so i think that discussion right now was was a really good preparation for at least judging what that machine is capable of yeah yeah speed claims are always always tough um, and I mean, yeah. we've 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 had this discussion on the podcast before. Like, would you rather print fast or would you rather print prettier? And I'm I'm on the well, side of like, hey, bigger, I, bigger, okay, uh, bigger. The question was, would you prefer a bigger or a faster printer? And you were always on the bigger side, right. and I was always on the faster side. That that is true. Okay, so I I I, I misremember that, but yeah, speed speed is something yeah. that's that's not like taking away from what you can do with a machine like a, a, a slower printer is still going to be able to print all the same things that a faster printer can mm. so it's not like a, a slower printer is not really limiting you in the things you can do with it that's what mm. i'm trying to say yeah so with that question answered uh, i just saw one of our three questions <laughs> disappeared so i guess we're just doing two today um, we're just doing two today <laughs> okay so yannick is I, I think that yeah yeah, we yeah. let's let's try and, and and record more of these and and yeah. Uh, Yannick is asking question for the next episode. What do you do with your filament rests? So your your leftovers on your spools. Uh, do you join them together or throw them away? Or you know he didn't find a reliable method to join them together, but it would seem very useful to me. So you you have a solution to that and an end all solution to that actually. Yeah, I I I have a new toy in the basement a semi well a professional desktop filament extruder <laughs> which could could be uh could be used for that so you just take all of the residues there still or the leftovers that are still on the spool yeah. shred them and make new filament out of it easy bit of, bit easy expensive ish. um i what i also have and what i actually wanted to make a video about but it did not work out for me was a filament joiner which is basically it looks like a clamp where you have um i i think it's a ptfe part in the middle that is also split but has a it's let me start from the beginning <laughs> okay <laughs> it is it is basically a device that has a bit of ptfe tube that is split in the middle in it so you heat up um your your filament ends you join them together and then you drag them through this piece of ptfe right. which should get the filaments to more or less a diameter where it is workable on your 3d printer so something like 1.92 millimeters um but 
that thing just did not properly work. I've seen others just use really a, a piece of PT, PTFE tube. They slide it on their filament. They exactly do that. They heat up the ends of the filament, put them together, slide that piece of uh, PTFE through. The yeah. problem is if you have long leftovers, you have to drag <laughs> that remaining piece of PTFE tube all the way down. That device I had was helping with that, but the device was just horrible. So okay. don't buy that. I mean, I, I remember seeing just joiners like that where it's a piece of PTFE that is just in a, I think it was in an aluminum block and gets heated and yeah. you basically just, it heats the inside of that tube and you just join your, you join your filament inside that PTFE tube. No. Though I'm not sure how well that would actually join and stick together because a, a join like that is always something that could potentially fail. That is mm-hmm. a... um well, a point where your filament could crack and the last thing you want is, mm. you know, feeding in filament and all of a sudden, mm. well, there, there goes that, that other spool that you joined onto. One, in my opinion, really neat solution is the the pellet from Mosaic, Mosaic 3D. The uh, multi... Of course, you've seen. Have you seen the, that the pellet extruder? Not, not the pellet extruder. What do you mean? The pellet, the the box where you feed, where you can now feed eight different filaments, and it it joins them for multicolor three D printing or for. Did I pronounce that now wrong? No, mosaic pellet. Mosaic manufacturing three D printing evolves. Okay, what, what what's the Oh the pa- oh oh I I heard pellet <laughs> like the like the raw pellet, pellet. No, with okay. a so- pellet. sorry okay. sorry <laughs> Yeah. Uh, two Germans talking in English about 3D printing fantastic idea yeah. for a podcast wow So what what's the name for for the pellet it's a multi it's I think primarily a multicolor printing assistant it's a box which has a professional filament welder on the inside and yeah. it can weld um different color materials to each other that are then fed into your 3d printer or you can even use it for rest 3d printing so you i think there is a mode i don't have one unfortunately but uh you just plug in your leftovers of filament in there and it has a runout detection included and when the first one is is empty it will change to like the next input yeah yeah so obviously the pellet a uh, automated filament joiner i guess is the the, the the most trivial way you could describe it yeah um yeah so that that could that could definitely work, but buying a buying a full pallet um, for just using up those those two meters of filament you have on a spool I, might be a bit of a waste. Yeah, perhaps. Maybe if you have yeah. one in, in a makerspace and you could. I, I, so with the pallet, you can also make um, like custom spools of filament. So you, it it can like pre-produce, um, for example, rainbow filament or a random color filament, and you just wind that up on a spool and, and you use that on any printer. Of course, the way that is it is mostly intended to be used is directly in line with the feed-in of a printer when you have uh, up to eight different colors. And then you slice it in a, in a specific way and then the palette prepares your the filament going into the printer um, to have the right color at the right time. Yeah. But hey, you, you could use that outside of a printer as well and just splice together 
um, your yeah. your little remaining bits of filament. Yeah. If you're just having a 3D printer with a filament runout detection and you are, well, don't do really long prints, overnight prints, you can just leave the, the filaments in the machine until it runs out and wait for the beep and feed in something new. It's, yeah. it's not really efficient, but that would also be working. Absolutely. Yeah. And then basically. It's just, resume, I guess, just resuming the prints. Yeah, I guess technically it is still joined in the hot end then. The hot end becomes your filament joiner because you have you have the old mm. filament in the nozzle and you put the new one on top. So technically you are still mm. joining them. Technically. But yeah, well, if you're not purging. Yeah. Well, even even then, yeah. it's still yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh well, yeah, but that, uh, that's a that's a great solution. And those filament yeah. sensors are like three bucks yeah. if you get the the, the yeah. ready made one. Um, yeah. And they're pretty so, easy to add to a printer. That is a great suggestion. They are, yeah. I don't know if there are some people that had good success with uh, joining filaments together by hand, but I don't know. Maybe my hands are not not made for that. But yeah, I've never tried. Didn't it. work. It didn't work nicely out for me so far. There is how. He, she called Helios 3D Heliox, the French 3D printing YouTuber. I think she's sure. called. Uh, he, give me one second. Heli, Heliox. Okay. I think she did a video on exactly that filament joiner a while ago. I will link that in the description. So Perfect. She, she at least got it working to some extent yeah but for me never never needed to do it um but then again i'm, I'm probably in a bit of a special special situation i'm looking like right behind the screen there is a uh a steel shelf that is filled to the brim with filaments so i really can't get into the situation of actually using a baseball but yeah i guess i guess no, do, no normal people have to like swap filaments and, and replace empty spools. Wow, normies. <laughs> I have to be totally honest. I bought quite a bit of filament this year and also last year. Um, I don't know. I don't get that flooded anymore with filaments like in the past. Yeah, it, it's I don't know. Just just standard PLA. Yeah, at, at some point, I need to to restart filoine. So many things to do. It's like you have a you have a to do list uh, that of things that yeah. you want to do, but it's but the list keeps getting longer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe one last note. Uh, so the video I released on Saturday on the PCTG filament, I wasn't expecting much from that video. In the end, it was again way more work than I expected in the first place but I thought okay this is going to be one of these underperforming videos again but uh, it was actually for quite a while one of my best videos I, yeah. I, I did in a while and does have now almost 100,000 views I looked at it yesterday and it was like at 45k and I was like okay well like I said Stefan's making the better videos mine was at 10k I I wouldn't I wouldn't say that maybe I just have more more luck with the with the algorithm. 
the thing is also you know making videos that cater to the algorithm that is also a a youtuber skill um that's something that apparently mm. you are better at than than i am i don't know yeah oh. maybe maybe i, I still <laughs> also envy like the video quality and also the ideas that you have and i but if could it's never come if up it, with but if it doesn't get people to watch them like what's the point of having 4k 60 well-lit studio equipment <laughs> stuff when you know people don't care about it whatever yeah. that's a that's an entirely different topic and i think we are well well past our um our plans time for this episode again let's try and do the next one a bit earlier than than another four weeks because i i know you guys also want to see us uh ramble about stuff or listen to us um in a hopefully pleasing uh voice that we're doing our our best to maintain um but yeah stefan thank you for taking the time again for this uh long-ish melt zone episode Thank you for your time. Sorry for always delaying the recording, but you've got it was other a pleasure. responsibilities outside of, of producing this stuff. So <laughs> understandable. Um, thank you all for listening, for watching. You can support Stefan or me through Patreon or YouTube memberships uh, in the links in the video description. And we will see you in the next one. Goodbye. Yes. Goodbye.